research and innovation, fairness to farmers when it comes to conservation programs. Those are just some of the requests the American Seed Trade Association has for the 2023 Farm Bill. Joining us on the phone is President and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association, Andy Levine. I'm your host, Sabrina Halverson. Let's get into this week's Agnet Weekly. We're going to talk about Farm Bill today and the uh, recommendations for the Farm Bill, but just for our listeners' sake, let's start out with, tell us what the American Seed Trade Association is and what you do. Yeah, uh, the American Seed Trade Association was founded back in 1883, one of the oldest associations in the country. We were founded at that time on providing high-quality germplasm for America's farmers. And that really is our mission today, is how do we make sure, or how do our member companies make sure that they've got the best, most resilient seed available to farmers, landowners, uh, property managers, golf course managers, anybody who plants something with a seed, we cover. We like to say we cover everything from alfalfa to zucchini and all production methods, uh, organic, conventional biotechnology. And so if you're planting it this spring, likely one of our members uh, um, grew that seed as a crop last year and harvested it same time you were harvesting your crop and processed it or, or conditioned it and um, um, cleaned it to put into a bag for you to plant. So when it comes to the 2023 Farm Bill, are you recommending very many different things from previous Farm Bills? Have you seen anything different coming up in the last few years? Or is it uh, you want to increase and improve on what you've had standing? Well, there's some things we'd like to increase and improve. But there always is with Farm Bills. You want to try to continue to modify things and learn from lessons of the past. You know, we really start out from the standpoint of we want to support the farmer programs that they're pushing forward to ensure that they've got good uh, good programs for them, strong safety nets, all of those that are pretty common within the production agriculture side of, of um, the farm bill policies. On the other side of that, there are some that are more focused on seed and the seed industry. So we'd like to highlight those in, in our farm bill priorities and ask, and uh, there's some things that are evolving that we all see today. Uh, one is conservation and how do you deal with the current conservation programs, the, the efforts on, on dealing with um, uh, sound, healthy soil and cover crop policies, helping farmers keep soil where it is, rejuvenating it over the winter, providing filtration, all of those factors that come into play along with carbon sequestration and, um, and uh, plant diversity. So that conservation key, we believe, is going to be a, a key player in this farm bill as well as going forward. Uh, everyone sees an importance from it all the way from the farm all the way through the supermarket. So we see a lot there. Uh, another area that we really think is important and has come has matured, I would say. Uh, agriculture research is something that is just a must for us if we're going to continue to stay competitive. We've seen some international um, investments made by our competitors to um, outpace the uh, American research community, agricultural research community, and we've fallen behind. We have uh, reduced our amounts of investments in agricultural research. And that, coupled with inflation and other things over the, the years, we're probably at our lowest level ever in research. So we're looking at significantly increased research into the Ag Research Service, the National Institutes of Food and Agriculture, uh, the National Ag Statistics Service, and Economic Research Service, all to really look at what's, you know, 
what are we doing, how do we do the research, how do we help improve uh, the tools that the farmers are using on the, on the farm. Coming from the seed industry, that's an important one because we'll continue to improve the genetics and everything. Um, uh, some additional resources need to be put into the National Plant Germplasm System. That's where we deposit all of the seed that comes into the market that we uh, protect through intellectual property, through plant variety protection, or through patents. That goes into the National Germplasm System after the, that protected period of time, and anyone can use it for, for breeding. But it has to be maintained. The seed is a living, breathing uh, biological entity, and it has to be maintained and improved over years as it's system storage. And so the National Plant Germplasm System is a must. And then there's some other programs there within ag research that we really need to look at with uh, funding for our land-grant institutions, uh, information on cover crop data, um, funding the Agriculture Advanced Research and Development Authority, which is AGARDA, uh, very similar to other programs that are out there for the Department of Defense and, and Health. So we think those are really, really key ag research programs that need to be fully funded or have uh, funding increased. Okay, so we've got conservation, ag research, and the next on your list was trade. So what trade. do you see for trade? Mm -hmm. Well, trade is, is absolutely key to American agriculture. We know that we are very efficient producers, and a large part of our economy relies upon agriculture policy or trade policy that enhances and improves exports to our allies throughout the world. And that means we have to have good policies in place, um, good trade policies in place, and continue to push the administration to do that. But following it, how do you develop a market? How do you go in and use the USDA programs under the, the market access program or the foreign market development program or some of the others to introduce a market to your product? And so that's key for a lot of agriculture um, associations or organizations, uh, especially those that are not some of the major commodities. And so you look at the, more of your minor grains or your, your uh, wheat, barley, oats, sorghum, as well as your fruits and vegetables. Seed plays a role in that as well. But that ability to look at market barriers, phytosanitary issues and things like that, and analyze how you can enhance your exports to those markets to benefit the U.S. market. So the trade policy is always going to be just kind of one of those foundational issues for American agriculture because of the importance of moving our products globally and the demand. We know the world knows that the U.S. produces a very good uh, agriculture product. Uh, innovation, uh, we really look at how the tools that we can bring to farmers have improved, and it's, a lot of it's through plant breeding and then through seed treatments. We've got to have... Um, great systems with our government agencies that foster innovation. Uh, right now we have to work with USDA, EPA, and FDA on new breeding products as we bring them to market. How do we streamline that so we don't get behind other countries like we are right now, but we don't want to get further behind other countries as they look at policy with respect to uh, breeding and new methods like gene editing. A lot of what farmers are seeing out there in the field as well is biostimulants. How are these going to be treated as we look to deal with environmental conservation issues or greenhouse gas emissions? That ability to bring those biostimulants to market, uh, let farmers use them in the field, experiment with them, better understand how they work and how they'll help their environment and help their production. We need to have good policy 
for the adoption of those biostimulants and oversight of them. And then the last one we continue to look at, and I mentioned uh, briefly in the beginning, was that strong continued support for uh, the farmer safety nets. Uh, they need to be strengthened. They need to provide the right incentives for farmers with respect to uh, things along the lines of planting a cover crop. Uh, how do they deal with that as they, as they go forward? Is there an incentive there? Uh, we obviously believe they need to be voluntary programs, but how, how can the farmer access various tools within the crop insurance program to help them adopt the policies that fit their, their uh, um, farm, their operation, their goals on that farm in order to also meet the needs of, of the environmental um, nature of that operation. So it really needs to be that strong risk management tools that address the farm safety net. I'm going to let you take a breath for a minute because that was a lot to go through. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> but I want to go into a little bit more depth on each of these five points if we can. And starting back up okay. at the top of your list with conservation. Conservation has been a big focus of this administration, and so we've heard a lot about it. There's been a lot of focus on conservation, especially within the last few years. And we're hearing a lot of, of good talk about cover crops and um, adopting new practices or practices, uh, further adopting practices that have been used but on a smaller scale. So with the recommendations for the farm bill, what are you hoping, best case scenario, what are you hoping that you could see encouraged through the farm bill as far as conservation goes? Well, really across the board, um, ensuring that you still have the flexibility in the current programs that are out there, the Conservation Reserve Program and others that need to be um, um, strong programs and they need to have expedited or, or flexibility, we say, in, in the program sign-ups so that farmers understand what the, the requirements are and everything else. Um, a lot of the, you know, NRCS conservation programs, uh, the applications for them are going unfunded. Uh, so how do we make sure there's resources there to, to ramp that up? Uh, in the beginning, as the actually just started under the last administration and has been carried through with this current Congress and this administration, there was discussion of a goal. What's that goal for cover crop acres? Especially in the Midwest, I would say, when you look at that, you know, 200 million plus acres of corn, beans, cotton in the southern belt, and wheat in, in other parts of the country. What what is that goal for that? Is it 60 million acres? That that's what was talked about uh, originally. Uh, that's about a third of that acres. Can we get to that? And I think as we look at it, one of the most important things from a seed perspective is that the seed that is planted for these programs is professionally produced. That means it's produced by a seed company that's having it tested and it's labeled as to the quality of that seed that's in the bag and the guarantees that the seed companies is get, are giving to the farmers as they comply and participate in this program. So we really believe that cover crops are not a solution, Sabrina, in this effort. Cover crops are part of it, one of the tools, part of the solution, helps keep that soil where it needs to stay uh, during those winter months when they're, you know, when you get those really cold days and high winds and, you know, blows stuff all over the place. If you got to cover there, it helps keep that soil in that field, helps uh, uh, take some of the nutrients that may be, have remained from the last crop out of that soil, uh, use it efficiently, and also obviously puts back those uh, uh, sequesters that carbon over the winter that uh, could have been lost. So all of those factors come into play. That's why we see cover crop as a, as a good tool that needs to be uh, further implemented in the programming. 
and and specifically also uh, the organization is is recommending flexibility in the conservation program delivery um, reading straight off of your farm bill page here on the website with that flexibility with with kind of spelling it out like that so it's very clear about the flexibility that uh, the organization recommends do you think it was important to have that type of wording in there we do. We do. I think we need to give the, that local field staff for NRCS, for crop advisors, and the farmer with his or her goals for their operation, that flexibility to, to adopt those tools that best work for the, that farm. We know each farm, whether it's across the road from each other, across the state, or across the country, is going to be different given you know, soil makeup, given topography, everything else. And so bringing it down to that local level, giving the flexibility to the farmer and the people that they work with to um, uh, provide insight into the best methods to reach their goals for that operation and their sustainability goals is going to be key for success across the board. We can't have one cookie-cutter program that everybody has to comply with because many won't be able to because it's their operation and the nature of it. Let's move on to research and the agricultural research section on the betterseed.org farm bill page um, is the longest out of all of the recommendations. And as you pointed out, we have seen a low level of research, agricultural research, and it is extremely important to keep agriculture progressing. Let's talk about the importance of research and some of these specifications within the recommendations. Um, I'm sure you want to see more funding to start out, more funding for research. What would you like to see? Well, what we'd like to see um, some of that funding go into um, uh, the National Plant Germplasm System is one of the keys. It's been pretty flat over the last couple of years, and that really is what we call our library for breeding across the across the the seed world, and it's important that it continues to grow and um, uh, they are able to cultivate those varieties that they have in storage so that anybody that wants access to them to, to do their breeding has that access. That's one of those just core bases as we go, go through it. You know, with the, um, with the primary USDA research, they do a lot of that uh, core foundational research for uh, genetics and agronomics and things along those lines. And then they collaborate with our land-grant institutions and our research institutions to bring that out to companies and others to make it um, um, applied research that goes into the field or that goes into the lab to look at it. So we'd like to see increases in that area as well. Um, and it really is, at, at this point, we're trying to figure what does the budget look like? What's the Congress going to give to uh, the Agriculture Appropriations Committee and the Agriculture Committee for funding for these programs, or where it's going to, where might there be some flexibility, and how are the various research areas going to be um, um, allocated with funds? We look at uh, one of the other key areas, Sabrina, that we would like to see addressed is our land grant institutions and our research institutions have really taken a hit. Uh, over a number of years, but especially since 2008 and the, the market collapse, when a lot of states dramatically reduced the amount of funding that they had going to their research institutions, land grant institutions, and other research facilities. And so there's a, you know, the Research Facilities Act that's going to be in the 2023 20, Farm Bill deals with critical infrastructure, and we're looking at uh, several billion dollars that we'd like to see put into that in order to help 
research institutions prioritize and remodel or rebuild some of these facilities that were truly built in the 60s and are now starting to crumble. I'm going to skip over trade for just a minute and go to innovation because I feel like research and innovation just kind of go hand in hand. Yes, they Uh, do. They do. So reading again off of the uh, betterseed.org farm bill page, the first thing listed under innovation is to create systems that foster innovation in plant breeding. And what's the difference between that and research? Could you, I mean, if you could just explain for me what's the difference between yeah. innovation in this and research, and why did it, the organization feel it necessary to put innovation on its own? Well, innovation to us is very similar to the research side, but it's bringing that research into the marketplace. And as we look at this, there is still not clarity on how best a person who brings in a, new, a product that's not previously been covered by current policy or current regulation, how do you bring that to market? And you look at the challenges that we have in understanding or getting policy out of USDA, EPA, or FDA, it makes it very difficult for any um, organization, whether a large multinational or whether they're a startup, to, to have clarity on how you come to market. So who's going to help fund you know, a project on a disease resistance in spinach if you don't have a clear path to market. It's no different than if you're dealing with a lot of other products that are out there. And so uh, right now we don't have a very clear uh, process or path to market for these products of of gene editing or what we would consider, you know, um, evolving breeding techniques because our understanding of genetics. And so we'll push and have been pushing for a number of years and will continue to push the administration and the agencies to elaborate and find um, efficiencies in the policy and regulatory framework in order to um, make sure that they develop those policies and regulations so they evolve, because we will say pretty straightforward that the biotechnology policies have not evolved. And we need to make sure that the policies on breeding evolve and don't become more and more strict down the road. And so that's what we look at the difference between research and innovation. I mean, you can have all the base, great base research you have, but if you can't take that and innovate it into something that can be used in a farmer's field or in a food facility, then all you have is a bunch of great research that sits on the, on the shelf. Right, and that doesn't help anybody. Nope. Nope. Keep us competitive in the world market. The second bullet point underneath innovation was provide clarity around biostimulants. And I have to say that this absolutely grabbed my attention because even with those of us who report on biostimulants and different things that are being used um, for, you know, again, for conservation, we don't always know how to even report on it because there are no clear definitions. And it makes it harder for our job, too, so I'm kind of happy that this is in here. It says specifically to, um, or it says in here, without a clear definition, the regulatory path to market is unclear. And and, um, we're seeing that. So can you explain a little bit more about that, the clarity about biostimulants for our listeners, please? Yeah, there's a a number of different areas where biostimulants could be classified and or regulated because of how they, are they a soil amendment? Are they plant growth regulator? A lot of different things depending on the target of the action that the biostimulant takes either on the plant or on pest or disease or the soil. And so you've got 
state, you got the state fertilizer laws and how do you, how do they qualify with respect to nutrients and, and uh, plant growth regulators, and you've got uh, FIFRA for the federal level, EPA, and how does it deal with potential impact on pest and disease. And there really is not a good definition of biostimulants in federal law. And we saw this in the last Farm Bill. Uh, good coalition of the industry is working to, to develop that biostimulants definition for this Farm Bill so that it gives direction to the agencies uh, to drive their policy. So how do you deal with this as a company that's working to develop these uh, biostimulants to bring them to market? And um, how would we then both working with the state or excuse me, federal agencies, and then the state agencies, how would you regulate those? Because even at the state level, some will be regulated by the State Commissioner of Ag or Secretary of Ag. Some will be regulated by the state EPA equivalent. And some will be regulated by both. So right. working to provide that definition now will give us that opportunity to look to bring those to market and have that clear path, a lot like we did with the innovation in plant breeding. Mm -hmm. I think it's an important step, just my two cents there, but I'd like to be able to have some clear Thank definitions <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, we, we agree with you. We agree with you. Let's go back up to trade. Um, trade, another hot topic. All these obviously hot topics, but um, we've been hearing also a lot about trade. I just kind of waded through a, a hearing about trade um, that happened last week as well. So some of the re recommendations uh, for the Farm Bill as far as trade goes, um, one of them, bringing more emerging markets, um, the Emerging Markets Program. What are you hoping to see there? Well, we know that we've got uh, a number of markets around the world that continue to grow population-wise. Uh, growth, that, as we see it, is not happening in North America. It's not happening in Europe. It's not happening in most of the developed parts of the world. It's happening in parts of Africa. It's happening in South America and in Asia. So how do you find access to those markets? How do you help them develop policies that deal with import-export, that deal with uh, phytosanitary matters, uh, that potentially deal with uh, tariff issues that have been in place for years to try to protect the local market, but what it's doing is keep, keeping out products that would be beneficial both for that local farmer as well as the market as it grows because the farmer may not be able to meet the demand that's there. So it really is looking at how do we broaden our trade opportunities to other countries. We, we have, especially some crops, we have very limited targeted countries that, that are the top two or three, and then after that it drops off dramatically. How do we look at these markets that are beginning to grow, emerge from their developed country standpoint, and uh, really are have an increasing population in the middle class, that are looking to spend more on better quality diets and all of those kind of things. How do we make sure that our farmers in the products that they grow are in line there to, to compete because we know we can compete because we've got very high quality products. And those emerging markets are, are key ones for us to, to get access to. And then let's go ahead and go down to, um, to risk management. That was the final point in your, the recommendations. And we hear a lot about risk management from other organizations as well, but it's, it's, it's good to see that the Sea Trade Organization Association excuse me, also sees this as an important point. Tell me a little bit more about the risk management points for the Farm Bill. Well, as we know, for a number of years, crop insurance has uh, the, the number of policies available to farmers under crop insurance has grown pretty dramatically across all production areas. And so you've got a lot more um, products that are uh, produced on America's farms 
eligible to, to have that base crop insurance program or an enhanced crop insurance program, those are key. We can't control Mother Nature. We can't, you know, we can't control when you get a derecho. We can't control when you get a, uh, a drought event or a uh, flood event and its impact on the, on the uh, crop. And so that farmer needs to be able to um, recover, have, have some tools available to replant or uh, get them through the winter to replant in the spring, all of those factors. So we think crop insurance is just number one for that safety net for, for farmers. There'll be a lot of discussion about, you know, permanent disaster and, and other things along those. I think some of that will depend on um, available funds and how it be, would be scored and what about those years when it's not used. Does that work against the Farm Bill and, and the funding of the Farm Bill? A lot of different questions there that I think still are uh, unclear and need to be um, addressed as we go through this, this farm bill debate. Then the other one we look at uh, during the pandemic, there was a pandemic cover crop program. Um, we looked at about $5 an acre for a rebate and for crop insurance payments for those who use cover crops. How do we encourage that use of cover crops? Where is that incentive for farmers? Both for farmers who have been using cover crops without any payment over the years uh, adopted early or those that want to adopt now and want to make that transition to it or experiment with it, how do you make it more um, attractive? And one of those ways we believe, and, and I think a lot of the grower groups do, is do crop insurance, uh, cover crop insurance um, uh, rebate on the crop insurance premiums. So that's one thing that we're looking at to continue to enhance and work with the Farm Service Agency and the grower organizations to really uh, see if there's a way to, to, to grow that. Well, thank you for detailing them all. And I just have a couple of just other questions, general more general questions. Mm -hmm. um, with having such a new, so many people, new people in Congress this year, do you think that, it, will it be more difficult to get some of these points into the Farm Bill or to get the right attention on some of these points? Or are you um, optim optimistic, I guess is the word I'm looking for, that, uh, every, you know, that your message is being heard? Yeah, I, you know, I think we're optimistic. Uh, definitely that it's being heard. I think we were hearing some things today that have, not really been raised to the level that they have um, already with respect to research and with respect to concerns about trade. Uh, there, there continues to be some other issues that we're going to have to deal with as we go forward, and trade being one of those. How do we make sure that we have a viable trade policy and one that um, uh, continues to grow up for, with opportunities? And um, so I'm optimistic from that standpoint. I think the challenge or the headwinds we're going to see is moving into the 2024 election, uh, presidential election. As we get, start to get closer and closer to that, we start to see more and more of the politics coming into play. And with that, does that uh, help us or hurt us as we go forward? And I think there's a, you, you, you could probably go both ways. So uh, we have to see what that's going to do to the uh, Farm Bill debate as we go forward. It's going to be an interesting one for sure, just with, I, th I think, how, you know, polarized things are this year. And like yes. you said, heading into the election as well, it's, it, this is going to be a very interesting bill to watch happen. And hopefully it happens I close to I completely agree time. with you. Well, and the other thing too, Sabrina, you said it is so few people have any experience in a farm bill, mm -hmm. both in the House and the Senate, and both in the, the elected official standpoint and staff standpoint. There's a lot of people out there that are, are going to be, as we say, the proverbial uh, putting the plane together as we're flying it. <laughs> 
and we will be watching that along the way. Thank you once again to Andy Levine, President and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association. This is the Agnet Weekly Podcast. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thanks for listening.